Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly non-fiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukara, and fellow writer Alice Burton. Recording this week's episode on Wednesday, October 5th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Um, I am getting into the fall swing of things. How are you? <laughs> also getting into the fall swing of things. We were talking earlier, we were both on vacation within the last couple of weeks. And that to me, like, even though it was September, that felt to me kind of like the end of summer. Like, obviously, like September happened and it was fall and stuff. But that was sort of like, it felt like the last hurrah before like really getting down to business and like the winter and stuff. Yeah. Well, and we, well, I was going to say we went to like summery places, but. No, I didn't. (laughs) You did not. No, I was up in Boston. We stayed in an Airbnb that was like on a house kind of like right on the like the coast. So we like looked out at the ocean every day and it was really beautiful and rocky, but it was very, it was cool and it like rained one day. So it was very, it was very New England fall, it felt like rather than summer, Uh, which was kind of nice because like we left Minnesota and it was not feeling super fall and then we came back and it kind of was. So it's like a transition, but you were, you were somewhere warm. (laughs) Yeah, um, I was in Key Largo, which is part of the Florida – for anyone who does not know, I read a lot about this. So it's part of the Florida Keys, (laughs) which are south of Miami, so like off of the actual Florida peninsula, and then the Keys are formed by dead coral. So they're just – like all of the stuff is built on top of this dead coral, and it's – (laughs) yeah. So we were in Key Largo, which is not – it's kind of like closer to Miami. It's not like Key West is like the southernmost mm-hmm. point, I believe. Um, that's where you're like 90 miles from Cuba. But we had to, we were at a resort. It was really great. Had a great time. Uh, we had to cut our vacation a day short because of the hurricane. Oh, Which yeah. I am a fairly anxious person, I would say. And uh, we flew in on Thursday. And on Friday morning, I read... Like, oh, there's a potential hurricane that's, like, coming up uh, that might hit Florida. And I told my wife, I was like, um, I think we should change our flight. <laughs> like, there was nothing guaranteed. I did ask my friend who lives in Louisiana who experiences a number of hurricanes. Because I'm from Illinois. Like, what do I know about mm-hmm. hurricane patterns? And I texted her and I was like, hi, so is this, like, should it, should I do something? And she was like, Yeah. <laughs> with with hurricanes, you kind of just want to prepare for the worst, um, which I did not know. I know more about, you know, tornadoes, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, where you just, like, it comes on real fast and you're, like, better get in the basement and put a mattress over your head if you have to. Ooh, I didn't know the mattress thing. Maybe I don't know about tornadoes. That's if you're, like, don't really have, like, a good basement or, like, your basement is full of windows and you end up, like, going into, like, a bathroom and a bathtub. Like, mm. you get in the bathroom and the bathtub and then, like, if you put, like, a mattress of some kind, like, over you, that is supposed to protect you is what oh I gosh. have understood. Well, then I take away whatever I said about knowing stuff about – I know nothing about any natural <laughs> disasters. 
I mean, mostly you just like go to the basement and cross your fingers. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and then. <laughs> And then we're a lot of Midwesterners. We don't go into the basement. No, we're that's just true. Like, yeah, eh, it's probably gonna be fine. Yeah, it's, it's it's no, it doesn't matter. Let's peek out the window and see what's going on there. Storms are coming. <laughs> it's not good. Wow, the sky's really green. <laughs> oh my gosh, the sky being green, so scary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, no. So Florida was great and <laughs> saw a lot of good birds. What? And um, but the water, it was it was bonkers because. The the whole summer, right, the water has been getting hot. And mm-hmm. so, like, we stepped into, I, I think it's the Gulf, maybe. And it was so warm. And yeah. it was just, mm. I did not see a manatee, but I saw a lot of dolphins. We were in Fort Myers a couple, maybe one, one, one or two years ago. And, yeah, that is the thing I remember about being in the, in the water there is that it was so warm, which you, like, just don't really expect. Yeah, and that's that's pretty close to there. My we my dad and his wife rented a uh, like an apartment in Fort Myers Beach, which mm-hmm. did get hit by Ian, but mm-hmm. um, it's going to be fine, maybe. Anyway, so they rented that this year, and we visited them, but it was like February, so the water wasn't amazingly mm-hmm. hot, but it was still it was still nice. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Anyway, did you get any reading done on your vacation? I did. I one of the books I finished was historical fiction, so I'm not going to talk about that one. Even though I like, I love historical fiction now. Apparently, like that's that's my thing for 2022. Well, wait, but what was it? Uh, I was called The Huntress by Kate Quinn. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Okay. Yeah. So apparently, that's my thing for 2022 is historical fiction. But the nonfiction I finished was called uh, In the Shadow of the Mountain, A Memoir of Courage by Sylvia Vasquez Lovato, which I want to say, I, I think I talked about it on the last podcast as a, not in new books, but in our other segment. Um, and so this is a memoir about a woman who um, decides to scale the seven summits. And so this particular book is about her um, attempt to scale Everest. But as part of that attempt, she also um, guides a group of women who are um, sexual assault and trafficking survivors on a camp, a hike from like up to uh, base camp. And then after base camp, she continues up to do the summit. And so the book is about like this experience with these women along with her own experience with childhood sexual abuse and her experience with alcoholism and being a, a lesbian woman in Silicon Valley and just like a whole bunch of stuff. And then the way that mountain climbing was sort of a like cathartic um escape for her, I guess. Not escape because mountain climbing is very hard, but a cathartic <laughs> experience for her. Um, and it was, uh, it was just, just so, so good. I like the talking about it. It doesn't feel like those stories should work together. Like it doesn't feel like the thing should hold together. And yet it really does. And the way that she goes back and forth between her kind of her personal story and the story of hiking with these women and um, then her ascent to Everest. Like, it just, it's so good and reminded me again of, like, hearing stories from different perspectives and what those different perspectives bring. Because, like, I've read several, like, mountain climbing stories, right? Like, I love uh, John Krakauer's Into Thin Air, which is about a Mount Everest season that was full of disaster. Um, Like, that's an incredible book. But, like, this one and the perspective that she brings to it really is about like community building and um, just a really different take on what it means to be a mountain climber, I guess. I just, I I thought it was fascinating. I loved it so much. And I feel like it's one that I will recommend a bunch to people because it's just very tough in parts, but very good. What's that called again? In the Shadow of the Mountain, A Memoir of Courage by Sylvia Vasquez Lovato. 
Nice. So that was your main... That was my main read. Yeah, it was great. Okay. Yeah, I had three books that I wanted to finish up in September. Uh, only one of them was nonfiction. But one had a lot of... It was kind. It's kind of historical fiction, not actually. <laughs> as mm-hmm. in like, this stuff did not happen. But elements <laughs> of it did. So that was exciting. But I, I finished Neon Gods in terms of just straight up fiction, mm-hmm. which is uh, by Katie Roberts. You know, it's like the dark olympus series oh yeah yeah it's like the first romance novel that i have genuinely enjoyed and finished in my memory so and it's it's super racy for me (laughs) i don't i don't know about normal romance readers (laughs) but i was like oh my goodness uh so yeah i liked that and then the alienist though uh do you know that book Mm -mm. uh it's by caleb carr and it's basically about a series of murders in late 19th century New York. And they made a series on like TNT or something hmm. about it a couple of years ago. But it's it's basically this like the, ali- the alienist is a – I'm going to say psychiatrist. Maybe it's psychologist. Like a brain doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he studies personality. And so at the time they were called alienists. And so it's like – him and then this woman who wants to be a detective she works at the police station and she helps with the case and then a reporter journalist man who kind of is like the narrator and theodore roosevelt is also in it but he's not it's not one of those like oh there's a cameo by theodore roosevelt you know what i mean um i feel like it's very long but it was really well written there was so much about new york history that i had no idea about like there was a massive water reservoir where the New York Public Library is right now, like the main branch. And really? it had walls that were 50 feet high. <laughs> huh. I'm just like, there are so many things that have existed on Earth that have then, like, you know, been destroyed for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And it was a completely different place. And it just blows my mind. I was also just reading about when the Earth was like Gondwana or whatever. Mm-hmm. And these creatures that existed that, I mean, I love megafauna, but like there were, I keep learning about new animals that look just bananas. And uh, anyway, getting back to books. So yeah, The Alienist was really good. But then the nonfiction, like fully nonfiction that I finished was Abby Jacobson's book, which is I Might Regret This. And she has illustrations, so that's the one where I had checked out the audiobook and the ebook so mm-hmm. that I could look at the illustrations. And it's her road trip post breakup with the first woman she ever dated, who allegedly, again, is Carrie Brownstein, uh, according to the internet. And her just sort of figuring out her life while doing this road trip and also kind of having very random thoughts and making lists of things. I think I gave it a three out of five. I think I would actually technically give it a 3.5. I did like it. And I do love Abby Jacobson's voice. I don't know that it was all necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, but she is very sincere. And I appreciate that about her. Makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, hooray for vacation reading. Yes. All right. And now let us hear from our first sponsor. I figured we could do that. And then we can do the reading the stars thing. And then we'll get into new nonfiction. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. 
That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent, Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife, Diana, his wayward nephew, Freddie, and his protective daughter, Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives Knives Out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bramble, the new romantic imprint from Tor Publishing Group. So here is a new erotic dark academia story. It's an epic love story. It's an instant New York Times bestseller. It's titled Gothicana by Runix. It follows Corvina Klim, who has been an outcast her entire life. She's left adrift after losing her mother, but then she receives the admission letter from the mysterious University of Varenmore. She accepts it as a sign from the universe. An enigma his entire life, Vad Deverell is a part-time professor working on his thesis, and he knows the moment his path crosses with Corvina, she's dangerous to everything that he is. They shouldn't have caught each other's eye, but a chill-inducing century-old mystery forces them to collide. So begins a tale of the mysterious, the morbid, the macabre, and a deep love that blossoms in the unlikeliest of places. So make sure to check out Gothicana by Rue Nix. The Gothicana hardcover edition has sprayed edges, a foil case stamp, and more. Thanks again to Bramble, the new romantic imprint from Tor Publishing Group, for sponsoring this episode. So let's talk real quick about Reading the Stars, Astrology for Book Lovers. This is a new book put out by us, Book Riot, and uh, it will help you better understand how your zodiac sign shapes your reading life, which is... Amazing. Uh, so are you a Libra who prefers balance and fairness or a Pisces whose emotional intelligence demands a vulnerable memoir? Uh, my wife is a Pisces and this speaks to me quickly. <laughs> uh, Reading the Stars offers book recommendations to help you build on your strengths, explore areas of growth, understand your own sign and learn about others. Kim, are you a Virgo? I'm a Cancer. You're a Cancer? Mm -hmm. oh, that's July? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm a Gemini. Oh. I don't know what that means, though. I don't really know what that means either. I'm not a like huge astro astrology person. But if we check this out, we know what books we would know. Read. Yeah, we would know. Or for Cancer and Gemini. So even if you are sort of a very uh, like a newbie to astrology, it lays it out. But also, it's like I think you'll get maybe a little extra out of it if you're like planning out your own birth chart and that kind of stuff, which I'm very impressed by when people do. Publishers Weekly called it an ideal gift for bookworms with a celestial bent, which is great. And through October 31st, you can enter to win Book Riot's Reading the Stars with an obvious state celestial print, notebook, and tote bundle. Amazing. Find a link to the giveaway in the show notes for for real. Uh, Reading the Stars by Book Riot is available wherever books are sold. Excellent. That sounds really fun and does sound like a great gift for the holiday oh, yeah. season, even though it feels bananas to even be thinking about that right now. Oh, that's true. People could start like on their little shopping list for the holidays. Exactly. 
All right. So with that, we're going to jump into new nonfiction, which is books that are out soon or out recently that we're excited about and want to uh, tell you about. So uh, the first one I have is Savor, A Chef's Hunger for More by Fatima Ali and Teresia Morrell, uh, which came out or is coming out October 11th from Ballantine Books. Uh, and so this book is, I didn't really read any of the like summary text before I started in it. I was just really excited because I love a chef memoir. And so I was like, oh, this is very exciting. And then it turned out to be much more complicated than I anticipated, but in like a a really interesting and good way. So uh, Fatima Ali was a fan favorite and top chef season 15. And so uh, she's 29 years old. She was this dynamic chef who was just like at the very beginning of their career. And then um, she was diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer. And thought that she uh, that turned out to be terminal and so she like was on this show and like captured everybody's attention and then um had to share her her cancer journey uh until she passed away and so um after she was diagnosed she vowed that she was gonna like live her best life for the the year that she was given and part of that was gonna be she reached out and wanted to write a book and so she was gonna get someone to come and help like ghostwrite and like shepherd a book for her so she could like live her life and like have all these really cool experiences but then also write a book about her life and kind of what it was like to live like that after a cancer diagnosis um Unfortunately, like right as they were, uh, Teresa Morel and Fatima and her family were getting ready to go out on this this journey that her condition got a lot worse and she was not able to do it at all. And so they had to totally pivot. And what happened was um, her co-author, Teresa Morel, like met with her for like one week at a hospital where she was sort of in hospice care and just like got her story and just got the whole thing. And then after Fatima passed away, she partnered with her family and her mother, Frieza, and wrote this memoir based on that week of conversation and the stories that she was able to gather from her mother and her family. And so uh, that that's sort of all laid out in the introduction. And then the book kind of jumps back right to Fatima's childhood and goes forward to her whole experience uh, growing up in Pakistan and becoming a chef and all of the kind of the the pieces of her story all the way through to her death. Um, And so it just is, I don't know, like I was, I haven't gotten super far into it, but I just was very, um, I was very like moved by the way that it was framed and by the way that it seems like uh, Morel has really captured her voice and the, um, the, just the sense of wonder and joy that she has been able to infuse a lot of the parts that I've read with, um, and also the way that her mother is able to kind of share their own story and share their family's story and share her memories of Fatima um, as part of this book. So it is a, a memoir, co-written, written in, in conjunction, but really about like savoring your life and like loving what you have been able to experience even in the face of uh, a terminal diagnosis. So uh, that is Savor, A Chef's Hunger for More by Fatima Ali and Teresia Morrell. Oh, savoring is like food. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Did you, like, have you gotten into Top Chef? Like, is that a... I have watched several seasons. Yeah, I'm not like a, I watch it every time it comes out, but... And definitely, like, in college, Top Chef was one of the ones where, like, then when they would do the, like, all-day marathon, you'd just be like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to have that on for the day while I'm doing other stuff. <laughs> um, I wonder if it's helpful to know how to cook if you're watching something. Or maybe it's just sort of one of those things where it's watching people be amazing at something, and so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I have never seen it, but 
this sounds really good, uh, if very sad, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really good. And I do love the the whole savor with mm-hmm. the life and the food thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, my first pick for this week is Black Hollywood Reimagining Iconic Movie Moments by Carol Augustus. This is um, it's it's kind of like a coffee table book, but I feel like that I don't know if I like that phrase. I think we need a different <laughs> different mm-hmm. phrase because also how many people our age and younger have coffee tables that they put books on that have space on them for just books. Yeah, no. Right. Right, right. But so it's a photography book. Like that's what this is. And it's so cool. So on the cover, it's got uh these sort of iconic Audrey Hepburn Breakfast at Tiffany's image, but instead of Audrey Hepburn playing her right, you have a black actress slash model. And it's all of these scenes. There's like an I Love Lucy, there's Singing in the Rain, there's Mission Impossible, and uh just all of these sort of reimaginings of uh iconic films. And Vanessa Williams is in it, Dulé Hill, Karamo Brown. It's just like, I love when this kind of thing happens. Uh, again, my wife, I, I hate saying my wife, but I also feel weird just being like, so Michelle and I, <laughs> like people know who she is. Um, my wife and I buy this series whenever it comes out. There have been two volumes so far called Classics But Make It Gay, where <laughs> artists redraw famous pieces of art, I guess, through history and just like make it queer. And... So that like that type of thing where we're going to take this thing that means so much to people, but we're going to expand its interpretation or open it up to more people than just like, let's say, uh, cis appearing white people. And it's it's just really neat. <laughs> I get really excited about it. So um, this project is so cool. I'm glad that it's out. Um, again, that is Black Hollywood Reimagining Iconic Movie Moments by Carol Augustus. That sounds super cool. And like, what an interesting thought experiment to both like, like, look at those images and then think like, what would it have meant if the characters in that movie were black? Like, would that have changed the story? Or how we think about it? Or like the resonance that it has or something? Oh, that's a good question. Like, that's an interesting thought experiment in addition to like appreciating like these really beautiful photos. Yeah, good, good job expanding that. I wasn't even, (laughs) I wasn't thinking... (laughs) Yeah, that sounds super interesting. Um, all right, so my next pick is uh, called Life is Hard, How Philosophy Can Help Us Find Our Way by Kieran Setya, which came out October 4th from Riverhead Books. Uh, I didn't realize that I had picked two like depressing books to talk about, but here we are. Just go with it. I'm just going to go with it. So um, this book is a book about philosophy, but it is about how philosophy can help us handle like the fact that life is hard. <laughs> Like, just, it is hard for everyone. And I think maybe part of what resonated with me is that, like, is it always been this hard is a conversation that I've been having with lots of friends in my life um, in the last, like, couple of years. And so there's something, like, that I found very, like, oh, let's let's lean into that. Like, let's think about this in a, in a different way. And so uh, the author is a philosopher. And so this book is like part memoir because he talks a lot about his own experiences as a person with chronic pain and chronic illness and how philosophy can help look at different hardships of life and help us think about them differently. And so in addition to philosophy, he also pulls in, uh, you know, lots of other things. He pulls in, you know, fiction, he pulls in memoirs, he films in movies, different pieces of pop culture and stories and um, research to sort of look at 
at, at how we can live in a, in a universe that, where life is hard. Um, it's about, so kind of like, like other books sort of countering this idea of like, find your bliss and live your best life. Like it's really about like how to live in a hard world with grace and with, uh, trying to find coping mechanisms and trying to like move through those adversities while still like not giving in to how hard everything is. Um, and so he looks at, um, in different chapters, he looks at like infirmity. So he writes about his own, um, chronic disability, uh, looks at loneliness, failure, injustice, absurdity, and then in the end, like, gets around to why we should be hopeful about all of these things anyway. So I have really liked this one so far. It is not as, um, I want to say not as philosophical, but it's not as difficult to read as I thought maybe it would be. It's not as, like, philosophy and, like, the abstract. Like, he is really bringing it down to, like, the very real pieces of what it is to be a human person. Um, and so I appreciate that, like really making philosophy accessible and relevant to the experiences we're all having now. So Life is Hard, How Philosophy Can Help Us Find Our Way by Kieran Setka. Oh, life is hard. It is. It is. Um, totally kind of pivoting from that. Let's talk about <laughs> Icelandic elves. Um, because I got really excited about this book. Um, so this is Looking for the Hidden Folk, How Iceland's Elves Can Save the Earth by Nancy Marie Brown. Now, I'm just going to throw out some Icelandic pronunciations here, and it's gonna be wrong, because <laughs> I have not studied the Icelandic language. But, uh, so, what the, the, essentially this book is about the environment and how this, idea of elves in Iceland can help you appreciate nature more. So this is the author, Nancy Marie Brown, goes to Iceland's quote, like, other world. But this is just very striking landscapes for the most part. So ancient lava fields. There is a mountain that's called Holy. Uh, there's a glacier. They have volcanoes. And just sort of talking about how we look at and find value in nature. But I also, because of the title, really quick wanted to talk about the uh, hidden folk or huldefolk, <laughs> which, sorry, I saw huldefolk and I was like, that's definitely how I'm going to try pronouncing it. <laughs> so they have been talked about for, I'm going to go ahead and say like 900 years at least in Iceland and um, have also been called Alfar. So it's like hidden folk, but they've all, Alfar is more more sort of closely like translated as elves and they are a big part of the culture now which i read this survey that said that um from 1870 to 1920 they said like 10% of icelandic uh, people said they believed in in hidden folk and now it's around the same but about 45% claim that it is likely or possible that elves exist. But again, it's like, what were the parameters for this survey? We don't know. Um, however, there are, like, you can go on tours. There's an Icelandic elf school in Reykjavik that takes you on, like, educational excursions. And there is a thing called Hafnarfjörd. <laughs> Wait, Hafnarfjörder which offers a uh, hidden worlds tour, which is kind of what the author Nancy Marie Brown is talking about, where you go to a lava field and uh, sort of like forest things and talk about the environment, but also elves. So I love this because it is, there's so many books about the environment now 
due to the fact that uh, we have screwed it up. And this lens and making it sort of combining it with folklore, I think is really fascinating, Um, especially a part of folklore that I don't know we hear about as often in terms unless you are really interested in Iceland. (laughs) Um, I think I've seen photos of like the little houses they have for Icelandic elves. But beyond that, I didn't know. So I I love this. So again, that is Looking for the Hidden Folk, How Iceland's Elves Can Save the Earth by Nancy Marie Brown. That sounds really interesting. I looked it up while you were talking, and it also has a, a stellar cover. It is just the most beautiful photo <laughs> of like a mountain and a beach and grass. And I just like, I want to live there. Well, there was pre-COVID. Um, first of all, yes, the cover is really good. Um, Pre-COVID, Iceland was like, Everyone was traveling there. Yeah. And then I, I don't know if that's changed now. It's like another spot. Well, I, I don't mean like Iceland. I mean like that photo. I would like to live right <laughs> No, I know what you mean. There. But I think it's I think the photo itself is very sort of striking for how like when people are like, oh, gosh, I want to visit Iceland. I think it's yeah. that kind of landscape where you get yeah. these like dark things that still somehow were light and Mm -hmm. then it's just very mm, yeah it's really good lots of thoughts book cover great excellent so (laughs) that wraps up uh new nonfiction. so um hopefully some of that sounded interesting even though some of it was kind of dark and sad uh and with that let us hear from our second sponsor today's episode is brought to you by with a little luck by marissa meyer After being magically gifted with incredible luck, a boy discovers this gift just may be a curse when it comes to love in this new romantic comedy by number one New York Times bestselling author Marissa Meyer. With a sprinkle of magic, this sweet beachside romance is perfect for fans of To All the Boys I've Loved Before and Love and Gelato, as well as anyone who has ever swooned over Marissa Meyer's beloved characters. It takes place in the same beach town as Marissa Meyer's previous rom-com, Instant Karma, but this time with Prudence's brother, Jude. So fans of Instant Karma will welcome familiar and new characters, but if you have not read that book, don't fret. New readers do not have to read the first book. So that's good. Pick this up for a sweet new romantic comedy. It's got a sprinkle of magic. It's got some beachside shenanigans. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to With a Little Luck by Marissa Meyer for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Random House, publishers of The Book of Love by Kelly Link. So The Book of Love is a long-awaited debut novel from a Pulitzer Prize finalist, a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, and the author of some amazing short story collections. It follows Laura, Daniel, and Mo, who one night find themselves in a high school classroom, which is not too special because they are teenagers, but get this, it happens almost a year after they disappeared and were presumed dead. And with them is their unremarkable music teacher who seems to know something about their disappearance and what brought them back. So desperate to reclaim their lives, the three agree to the terms their music teacher proposes. They will be given a series of magical tasks. While they undertake them, they may return to their families, but they can tell no one where they've been. But when other supernatural forces descend on their town, the stakes get even higher. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Random House, publishers of The Book of Love by Kelly Link for sponsoring this episode. 
All right, so this week's theme, we decided to be uh, inspired by my vacation, which was out to Boston. Uh, and one of the days we uh, drove up to Salem and spent the day just walking around and seeing all of the Salem sites. And so we thought this week we would um, talk about books that are related to things in Salem, which are witches and boats. <laughs> yeah. Um, and before we get into the books we talked about, Wanted to note that uh, largely the people writing about Salem or things related to Salem are uh, white people. There are very few authors of color um, writing if about. If any. If any, um, writing about this topic, which is a real, I think, gap. Um, so we just wanted to acknowledge that before we get into the, the books we're going to talk about. But are we talking about how a big reason is not, that we're talking about Salem is because you went there? I did go there. Yes, I did go there. Um, you Before I went, you told me uh, you had thoughts about the Witch Museum. We did go to the Witch Museum. Uh, we can talk about that maybe after the first couple of witch books because uh, it, it was an experience. Oh, you want to you wanna put a little delay on that discussion? <laughs> well, no, let's, let's do it. The, the Witch Museum <laughs> is sort of like the big, I think it's one of the big attractions in Salem. Like it's sort of like the museum you're supposed to go to. And it's basically this like... I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a, a like a guided series of tableau. Yeah. Um about the history of the witch trials, but um is just I don't love it. <laughs> it was it was weird. I I was talking to Dave, uh, my, my partner David about it afterwards, and we both agreed that it gave, like, a fairly straightforward timeline of, like, what happened in Salem, like, just kind of an overview, but, like, the angle that they took on it was strange. What, I remember that there was, like, a, like, a Satan doll. Yeah, it starts out with sort of a thing about, like, how Puritans, like, saw Satan everywhere, but, like, maybe he was everywhere, and then there's, like, this Satan doll thing that, like, is illuminated with red light, and then it jumps over to the 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 first, you know, set of girls, and it talks a little bit about, like, the experience that, like, young women had in Salem. Oh, we should say, just to set the scene for people, you are sitting in a large rectangle on benches around the perimeter. Yeah. And up high on the walls, there are, like, set back platforms and then spotlights illuminate the different tableau yeah. <laughs> as they go through the story okay continue please yeah thank you that's good context and then so it sort of walks through the timeline and there's one of like the girls sitting with tichuba uh, at one of the houses like i don't know the vibe i got was like oh my gosh these girls were very vindictive and they started telling stories and everyone believed them darn if we had just not believed those little girls I mean, that seems right. And I just was like, that doesn't seem like that's really all that was going on here. It's also kind of clearly set up for school children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, weird if you're an adult. Yeah. <laughs> just like sitting there and being like, wait, I thought I was going to a museum. Yeah, it was. I would have rather like walked through a museum, I think, and like gotten more, more details and more information because it was very, it was just very strange. It's definitely a dated experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it did uh, lead me to, I think, maybe like the obvious book that you might get after going to the Witch Museum, uh, which is The Witches, Salem 1692 by Stacey Schiff. Uh, so Stacey Schiff did a big biography of Cleopatra. And so then this is her take on what happened in Salem in uh, 1692, which is, uh, is really interesting so far. So she opens it by sort of saying like, 
You've heard a lot about Salem, but here's the thing. We don't actually really know what happened because none of the people who like were directly involved really have any first-person accounts of it. There are no trial transcripts. There's there's no documentation other than by people who were like on the outside or reflecting on it decades later or have some sort of like bias or investment in it. And so she's sort of setting that stage was really fascinating after the Witch Museum because I was the Witch Museum is very like this is definitely what happened. And she's like, yeah, actually we don't particularly know what happened. Um other than like 19 people were killed because people thought they were witches. And so she sets that stage and then basically like basically like takes everything that anyone said about it and just sort of like writes it as if it's true. So there's a whole section about like this young woman like rode on a broom and she just sort of like sets it all up as fact almost, which I think is a really fascinating way to do it because on some level, like we have no idea what actually happened. And so just taking the stories and sort of putting them out there and letting you think about them in the context of everything else that was going on. So I'm really, I'm excited to like get into this one, especially in October, because it's a good uh, haunting month to be talking about witches. And I think this is maybe a really good, a good way to get into that. So The Witches, Salem 1692 by Stacey Schiff. I'll be interested in your thoughts on this one. I think that I felt like there was a lot of information in this book. It is very thick. Yeah, like potentially too much. However, I will say it also did a really amazing job for me of you know, I, I grew up watching like the Crucible movie. And mm-hmm. I think like the Crucible, right, is probably most people's introduction to the Salem witch trials other than just various stories and pop culture. Yeah. And this book does a like the witches 1692 does a really good job of giving you the context for what their lives were like mm-hmm. and makes it very believable that like these were people kind of operating like on a knife's point in terms mm-hmm. of uh their lives could just be shattered any moment and there wasn't enough firewood and like you know and it was freezing like all of these factors where you're just like oh gosh life was really horrible and then hysteria kind of set in or what or argot or whatever you want to say happened with this so yeah but yeah just let me let's, let's circle back on that in a future episode let's do it yeah uh, my first pick for this section is Tituba, Reluctant Witch of Salem, Devilish Indians and Puritan Fantasies by Elaine G. Breslau. It came out in 1996, which is 25 years ago. Oof. Oh my gosh, I know. So again, if you are familiar with The Crucible, then, or just stories of Salem, you know about Tituba, who was an enslaved woman who was first accused of witchcraft in Salem, which, like, what a surprise, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, let's take this woman of color and accuse her. Um, She confessed and basically, you know, like, told them what they wanted to hear, and which, of course, she did, because what a terrifying situation. But it's kind of like when you think about her, I, I don't know that I've heard necessarily people be like, wait, why was she there? Like, why was she in this village in Massachusetts? And this book not only goes into her origins or what we can either, like, hypothesize or just, like, get from other uh, records that exist, but um, Elaine Bresla says that despite her frequently being called African or from Africa, that she believes that she is um, American Indian. I believe she thinks she's part of the Arawak tribe or nation. I could be wrong. But she definitely is, like 
I find it to be not it's it's academic, but extremely readably academic, mm-hmm. which is really saying something. And when I was reading it, I was like, wow, I'm like very invested in this story. <laughs> And um, going back to where Tijuba came from, which was probably from um, South America, going to Barbados, and then talking about her life on this um, sugar plantation where there would have been English people and American Indians and then also African um, people there, and then going from there to Massachusetts, and then, of course, being caught up in this horrific situation where you are accused of this thing that is obviously punishable by death and how you survive that. And it's just, her life is fascinating. I think her story gets glossed over a lot because it is at the very beginning of the story and Mm -hmm. you kind of don't hear much about it after that. It's Then it's just like, oh, these girls, and then everyone started accusing everyone and all of this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, really psyched that this exists. Uh, Again, that is Tituba, Reluctant Witch of Salem by Elaine G. Bresla. Excellent. Yeah, I'm really glad you talked about that one. Because yeah, that is definitely a part of the story that is strange. And like, what is going on here? As you sort of dig into it a little bit. Yeah. So the other thing that we thought was really interesting in Salem was like the city's history in the like um, maritime industry and like fishing and um, trade uh, with you know exports exports yes fishing and exports in their their sailing area they had a really huge wharf or like a port that people went in there. Um, Nathaniel Hawthorne, the author, Nathaniel Hawthorne was overseer of Salem's port from 1846 until 1849, uh, which I thought was interesting when we came across like a historical marker that talked about that. Um, And so one of the um, primary industries in Salem was cod fishing. So that made me think of Cod, a biography of the fish that changed the world by Mark Kurlansky. Uh, so Mark Kurlansky is an author who does a lot of micro history. So he takes one thing and then looks at how it goes together across like a very long um, connection of history. And so Cod is about the role that Cod has played in uh, the world throughout history. So uh, he argues that it is the reason Europeans set sail across the Atlantic. He talks about how the Vikings in Greenland uh used cod. It talks about um, how it was part of medieval diets, talks about how it was part of the trading uh, work in the United States and the early United States and and cities like Salem. Um, And then it kind of goes into the role that cod plays in the fishing industry today. So when I I put this one on here, you said that this is one you were interested in reading or you had made fun of and are now interested in reading. I think I'm going to do the audiobook of it because I have made fun of it for so long, and I think I need to just read it so that I can speak about it more specifically. (laughs) Excellent. Well, you can report back on that one in a future episode, too. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, closing out this section. So I don't have a sailing slash boats book, which I am so sorry. You can read any book by Nathaniel Philbrick, and... (laughs) We'll get all the boat information that you need. But uh, I wanted to do a slightly younger skewing book for Salem and the Witch Trials, which is Which is the Absolutely True Tale of Disaster in Salem by Rosalind Shanzer. And um, this is, it says young adults, which, yeah, I don't think I really would want to expose kids on, yeah, like under 10, let's say. I mean, let. I remember, like, reading some pretty dark stuff in grade school, so I probably shouldn't underestimate those kids, but mm-hmm. you only get so much time to be a child, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, so maybe like over age 10, but this book, um, it has these really cool scratchboard illustrations that are like black and white that the author uh, slash illustrator did. And it uses primary source material. And um, it's funny because it, in the description for the book, it specifically cites Stacy Schiff's The Witch's Salem 1692. So maybe you read that and then a child <laughs> in your life <laughs> reads Witches, The Absolutely True Tale of Disaster in Salem. It does seem uh, it's it's written to be very sort of readable, obviously, because it's for a younger audience. And then the illustrations really are very, very good. So uh, it seems like just a good read for October. And then, you know, maybe laying out how these women had a really terrible time of it and that we should maybe not have a bewitched statue in downtown Salem because that's weird. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so again, that is Witches, The Absolutely True Tale of Disaster in Salem by Rosalind Shanzer. Yes, that sounds like an excellent uh, related pick for sure. So before we wrap this up, I wonder, when you visited Salem, is there anything that you particularly loved that you would recommend people go to see? Okay, so my friend and I went on a Sunday, a lot was closed, which I was like, this is very hypocritical, Salem. Um, <laughs> But... Like, Dunkin' Donuts was closed on a Sunday. That's weird. I was very surprised. Anyway, this was a very long time ago, like over 10 years ago, but I loved, eh, I liked the House of Seven Gables. Mm -hmm. We went to see the very last tour of the day, and I didn't get a ton of time to explore the town. We did the Witch Museum, we did the House of Seven Gables, because I had specifically read the book, and it's not good, uh, in order <laughs> to go on this tour. The, the house was interesting, but not super memorable, except for, again, the outside of it. <laughs> with all of the gables, the gables. which like Nathaniel Hawthorne's like aunt owned the house mm -hmm. and that's what whatever it's not that interesting the best part of that book is there's a character named Hepzibah in it <laughs> but the other memorable thing there was a Lizzie Borden museum which has since been closed because everyone said why is there a Lizzie Borden museum here <laughs> she would not live here and oh, it was un it was late May and it was unseasonably chilly and I went around to many shops as they were closing, trying to buy a sweatshirt, and I finally bought one at the mall <laughs> that was nearby. So I have a very positive memory of the Salem Mall because a woman who worked there gave us discounts on hoodies, and I still have mine. That is excellent. This is probably not the info that you wanted. <laughs> no, that was fun. We we walked around, too. It was chilly, and it was very windy. Um, but they have, like, a lot of interesting, like, historical markers. And we thought the port part was really, really cool to just see and, like, what that was about. We walked around the outside of the House of the Seven Gables. We went to a bunch of, like, kitschy uh, Halloween-themed stores, which was really fun. Um, so Salem is a, is, it's a good time to visit if you like Halloween or, like, kind of that stuff like that. I recommend. Oh, yeah. If you go to Salem, don't count out its nautical history. Yes. Slash whaling. I mean, we hate whaling, but it happened, and it's in the past for yeah. the most part. And it, they have, like, a ton of historical stuff about that, which I would have loved to see. I should go back. Um, I would have loved to see more of, and it's just not all, it's not all witch stuff. I don't know. It's a neat town. Exactly. Lots of things. Lots of things. <laughs> all right. So uh, with that, we will wrap up uh, this week as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading uh, right now. So I actually am talking about one that I, I picked up at the library today because I saw it on one of the new, uh, like the recent nonfiction shelves, and I thought this sounds very fascinating and I would like to read it. So it's called... Who is Wellness For? An Examination of Wellness Culture and Who It Leaves Behind by Faria Rosin. 
Uh, And so basically, like, this is just a book that looks at wellness culture and how it uh, has been appropriated and commodified through uh, lots of different uh, capitalism, basically. And so she looks at stuff like the mind, the body, self-care and justice and explores that. And I just thought that sounds really interesting. And so um, I'm going to, I haven't started it at all, but I'm going to try it and I will try to report back. That sounds good. Um, I appreciate the types of books like this that you read and then expose us, the listener people to (laughs) count myself (laughs) as a listener here. Uh, yeah, I am reading something very different, which is, <laughs> Kim can see the notes, uh, This Republic of Suffering, Death in the American Civil War by Drew Gilpin Faust. I'm doing this as an audiobook, and it is all about how the American people were impacted by death during the Civil War and how we work with death in terms of how that's changed, like our interaction with it. And one of my favorite pieces of info from that so far has been that you know people talk about like the good death and i've heard that before like dying a good death and Mm -hmm. being resigned and how people were very eager to hear how their sons died on the battlefield and people would write letters describing how they died but the reason like a big reason they were so concerned was because they wanted to make sure that they were going to go to heaven and so if they didn't know if they were you know like christian or whatever form but they had like someone write, wrote to them and was like they died peacefully and i could tell that they you know were on their way to a better place like all this so it was really to just feel like okay i'm going to see this person again um which is very touching in its own way but i hadn't connected those pieces before because obviously while christianity is still very influential in america it's not front and center for a lot of people's minds and how people thought back then and um it's been it's been just very fascinating. So anyway, the Repu- this Republic of Suffering, <laughs> by, which is such a bleak <laughs> title, uh, by Drew Gilpin Faust. And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. If you have a few minutes and would like to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can follow us so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. 